0: It's put students in very vulnerable situations so far. Long term planning has gone out the window. It's made me really like, question the whole system.
1: Hello and welcome to Switchboard, Varsity's flagship
2: podcast. My name is Isabel Roberts and I'm Maddie Fisher. The last few weeks have seen rising concerns about the reopening of universities.
1: And so today we ask. What lies ahead for Cambridge next year? Just before we begin, a quick content note. This episode contains discussion of coronavirus and the impact it has on students.
2: On the 24th of August, Cambridge University released their Stay Safe Cambridge Uni campaign, which outlined the measures staff and students will be expected to adopt next term to ensure the university remains COVID
3: safe.
1: We spoke to Varsity's senior news editor, Christopher Dorrell, to get an insight into what these regulations entail. So Chris, can you talk us through the Stay Safe Cambridge Uni campaign?
4: So the campaign is the university's public health campaign and it is issuing guidance to students um, on how they should behave in Cambridge with lots of guidelines about Uh, washing hands, social distancing, wearing face masks. And then alongside that, there's the more general framework in regards to households and uh, international students returning. Uh, The specifics are provided by the different colleges. So in all the university buildings, the the regulations laid out in the Stay Safe campaign will be followed. Um, But they obviously can't force the colleges to do anything because it's a collegiate university so what it means for 90 percent of our lives which we live in colleges is unclear
1: speak through the kind of household regulations in terms of the bubble system that's been introduced
4: yeah so the household is defined as um people living together and sharing communal facilities like bathrooms kitchens uh So the size of a household will vary between colleges. In Churchill, my college, it's four or five. And within your household, um you have no social distancing. You can meet up with one other household inside your household, your building area, so long as you are socially distanced at all time. And that's also a bit weird because... You know, a lot of rooms in Cambridge, it's difficult to stay two metres away at all times. Outside the room, you can meet up with up to six people from um, as many different households as you like. Um, Because there's so much variation between the colleges, the application of those rules is so different from college to college. And speaking as a student, I haven't had any real contact from my college about what, I i know who's in my household, but I haven't been told anything about what my life is going to be like really, and I don't think that's uncommon. Um, so it's, you know, it's great that the university is publishing their guidelines, but what does it actually mean if the colleges aren't communicating with their students?
2: These guidelines have come following increasing concerns over the last few weeks regarding the safety of reopening universities. Dame Anna Johnson, a leading epidemiologist at UCL, has said that the country is at a critical moment as students prepare to return to universities. These warnings have arisen following the news that the highest number of detectable cases are now in adults aged 20 to 29. Major student cities have been added to the lockdown watch list, including Leeds. This means they could face tougher restrictions if cases continue to rise. Similarly, the city of Oxford has been placed on amber alert due to a spike of cases thought to be driven by 18 to 29-year-olds. ISAGE, the
1: independent government scientific advisory group, released a document in late August noting it's highly likely that there will be significant COVID outbreaks related to higher education, particularly since students are more likely to be asymptomatic. If a peak coincides with the end of term, they warn, it could put extended families and local communities at risk once students return home.
2: There are worries that Cambridge's Stay Safe campaign is ambiguous and at odds with government advice. I, SAGE, advised that online teaching should be the default option. This contrasts with Cambridge's blended online and in-person approach, in which face-to-face supervisions are the norm. As such, the Cambridge Student Union have urged the university to adopt an opt-in system for in-person supervisions.
1: ISAGE have emphasised that if universities do not suspend direct contact teaching, they should follow their six recommendations. Two relevant suggestions for Cambridge are the testing of all students and staff before or upon arrival, as well as implementing masks in classrooms as a norm. At the moment, supervisions are expected to take place without masks at Cambridge.
2: On the 9th of September, the university announced plans to offer weekly COVID-19 tests to all students living in college accommodation, even if they are asymptomatic. This is a welcome policy, yet misses out about 6,000 students who live outside college, including many postgraduates. On the 3rd of September, the Cambridge Student Union responded to the Cambridge Stay Safe campaign with their own Demand Safe Cambridge campaign. Can you tell me about some of the
1: main criticisms that the SU have of the uni's campaign and what they are pushing for?
4: So I think the main criticism is, again, on this point of the university has issued what they think, but that's colleges can issue something else. And that's confusing for everyone. Um, What they're demanding falls into three categories of um, working, living and studying. Studying focuses on the students' life and the working focuses on the people employed by the university. So they're asking for no job cuts um, or wage decreases.
2: Renza Gaunt, the Disabled Students Officer at the Cambridge Student Union, elaborates on the concerns about studying and living and the demands that the Student Union
0: are calling for in their campaign so we put together uh, an open letter which has a list of demands and that basically helps jcr mcr other student groups to engage with their college and with the university and to say actually other colleges are doing this and we're not or other universities are doing this and we're not why not and we we are not being empowered to feel safe why not what's of particular concern is that it's so fragmented so for things like um additional costs for rent um it's been unlawful since 2016 for colleges to require disabled students to pay more for their room and what we're really concerned about is that first of all colleges don't apply that in any kind of regular way it is basically if you self-advocate you can get the thing that you are legally entitled to um but we're really worried that that's gonna pass on to people who are shielding or people who need to self-isolate or quarantine. They also shouldn't be um, required to pay extra costs. And because everything's been done in such a fragmented way, some colleges are requiring students to pay this, some of them aren't. For, For quarantining students, some colleges are getting staff to bring you food Some of them are requiring unpaid volunteers, unpaid student volunteers um, to come and bring you food and saying, well, if, if the JCR or MCR won't do it or other students won't do it, then you won't get food and you need to stay in your room for two weeks. Obviously, this is a massive, massive welfare concern and also just safety concern. That is, to me, a really worrying precedent to set to say that Student welfare and student safety is primarily the student's fault. The university and the colleges also have a responsibility to make sure that the rooms and any provisions that they put in place are safe. And I know that a lot of students are being asked to provide the risk assessments. And it's clear that what is being asked now of of students and untrained uh, staff is just completely inappropriate.
2: And what are the Student Union's specific demands in relation to living, working and studying?
0: The point that links to all of these three groups is you know, having proper risk assessment in place and having consultation with students and staff about this. So not telling students what they are doing, but actually making it more of a discussion because that has been shown to increase compliance and also just a general feeling of safety. Also, just being more flexible in general, because currently the university is saying if you want to work away, you have to provide quite a high standard of medical evidence to prove why you need that. And as as a student's union, we're confused about why the university doesn't want to, by default, do the safer option. And I think it's bizarre to expect only the most vulnerable students to want to be safe. They have an obligation under the Equality Act to provide an accessible education to you without requiring you to do the legwork. But unfortunately, the onus is on you to do everything at the moment, and it's, it's really just exhausting. Another one of the points in the open letter is about guaranteeing accommodation. We saw earlier this year that some colleges were pretty keen to get their students to leave and actually in a pandemic scenario, that's really unsafe. People shouldn't be moving around the country um, because the virus is, is hitting their area. That's specifically a reason to not move about. So I know, I know that the government has recently um, reiterated this, but that was really something that we wanted to um, to underline and to say that actually colleges are supposed to be where students live and not just like a hotel that can turf you out when they want to and because it puts, it's put students in very vulnerable situations so far and I can see it happening again.
1: We spoke to a variety of Cambridge students from demographics that have been particularly affected by Covid. One such group are international students who have been especially affected by travel bans and quarantine periods.
4: So at the moment, there is a list of countries uh, and if you are from a country on that list, you are required to quarantine when you arrive. And if you are forced to quarantine, then you go into your household, you stay there for two weeks. But there's been question marks Because for many international students, they feel like they're coming from a country which is safer in terms of the virus moving to the UK, which is relatively less safe. And what's the point? Because all the teaching or the vast majority of the teaching is online. The teaching that isn't yet online easily could be moved online. Um, So essentially. Many international students are being asked to risk their own safety for a quality of education which they could have received at home anyway.
1: Girton JCR president and international student Riva Kapoor talks to us about this.
2: What aspects of planning for next year would you say have been harder for international students?
3: I would say One of the hardest things, and this is for international students, but also for everyone, is thinking about freshers. Um, Just because for me, the main reason I'm so excited to go back is because I know that the most important thing is being with my friends again and living with them and getting to see them again. But obviously for freshers, um, they don't have friends yet or they they probably don't have friends yet. And going, starting uni is like always one of the hardest transitions ever and like doing that in a pandemic when you don't know anyone and and are asked to social distance, it's even more difficult. And also then the added layer of being an international student, like for some people it's their first time ever coming to the UK. Obviously, like for many, it's their first time living here. You're adjusting to a completely new country, culture, way of life. And on top of that, one in a very, very different circumstance where you might not be able to actually interact with people, which is the best benefit. That's That's what's really hard.
2: Yeah that must be hard for kind of first year international students. Um, Do you feel like the university has been clear on its kind of plans and guidelines um, in regards to international students and general Covid guidelines?
3: I think that firstly um, I probably have a a distorted perspective just in that I'm very involved in the decisions made at Girton, so I probably know more than most people even though I know more than most people I don't know much um and I think to be honest the, the guidance especially for international students was very very late like it's come really recently at Girton. we've only just found out our room allocations now and I like today um and I see the reasoning behind it because everything is so uncertain they they don't know what to offer but at the same time people need time to like book flights to know when they can come back to like if yeah for international students it's not that easy like we were recently told that in that all Gerson students who normally we have a 38 week tenancy so you can stay the whole of the Christmas holiday days except like 10 days um and also the whole of easter holidays we've been now told that like w- we should move out for most of christmas just in case um somebody has to quarantine and obviously like i got a lot of messages from international students being like you know I- i'm not going back over christmas but good news is that college have agreed be like if you speak to your tutor like for extreme circumstances or reasons like you can't stay but I think it's just knowing from the offset that like exceptions are accounted for. So it's because it's basically always like if you must, in extreme circumstances you can. But it's a massive part of the population, like international students. As I don't know how how many percent of people like they need to feel like their like circumstances are taken into consideration from the beginning, not just as like an afterthought.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you talked a lot about Girton's policies there. Would you say there has been a disparity amongst colleges?
3: yeah, I mean, I don't know specifically for i mean I don't know if the international student policies are other colleges, but just in general, like planning and policy making over um over lockdown, like thinking about freshers, thinking about social distancing like everything's different, and I get that colleges are separate entities, but like it's made me really question the whole system like we it will really affect people's university life like all the different circumstances and I think I don't know why they're not more standardized.
2: And so you had an experience at the beginning quarantining not in college uh but still having to quarantine for this two week period. Do you think the kind of the guidelines for international students to quarantine Will have an impact
3: on their well being. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a government regulation, so I guess there's nothing we can do about it. Um, but in many cases, as I say, it'll be people, especially with freshers, people who it's their first time in their country and they're locked up in their room for two weeks. Like that's pretty rough. I don't know if people know this, but like for the quarantine for two weeks. For international students, you like you're not even allowed on a daily walk or anything like that. So it's a bit more it's a bit more intense. But I do know that college is completely committed to providing like food and support and support for those people. So they'll all be allocated a buddy if they don't like have a friend already. Like somebody um, can volunteer to be their buddy to like talk to them through the wall <laughs> and like give them food and stuff when they need it. Students of modern
1: and medieval languages are another group particularly affected by coronavirus. MML rep Gemma Watts speaks to us about how her year abroad plans have drastically changed over the last few months.
2: Hi, Gemma. So you're going into your third year studying German and Russian. Uh, What would you normally be doing for this year?
5: Yes, so my original year abroad plan Um, I had many, many year abroad plans that all fell through before coronavirus. Um, I was going to be teaching English in Germany over the summer, studying for a semester um, in Moscow in the winter semester, then finding something to do in between the end of that semester, which would have been the end of December, um, and then going to Berlin in the April for a semester there and just finding something to do in the middle. Um that was the plan that I had in March
2: 2020. That sounds really interesting. Um, so now, looking to now, what are your current plans for your year abroad?
5: I don't have one. So I have a plan for this semester. So I have a place at a different university in Moscow for the winter semester. I should be flying over there in three weeks, but obviously, that could fall through any minute. I don't have a plan for the second semester um definitely. So I could still do the placement in Berlin. But it depends what happens this time round as to what I will do next semester. Um, you know, if say if this doesn't work out, I kind of have to replan and things like that. Um so it's kind of very like long-term planning has gone out the window a little bit. Um but I have option at the minute I have options. I might not have options further down the line, but that's kind of, I'm just gonna see how it goes.
2: On your role as a student rep, um, how much have the department allowed you to get involved in planning? And what in particular have you been campaigning for?
5: Yes, yeah, so when the whole thing kind of kicked off in March, um, and everything was kind of closing down. I emailed the year board office, and was like, "Look, what are we gonna do?" Um, and they issued a general statement to students. Then, my involvement in the planning has mainly been off my own back, in terms of things for my year group and also the year above me, who most of whom did have to come back early in March. Um, so things like um, campaigning for reason, like kind of adjustments for the examinations about to take place. So. Every fourth year MML student in usual years will sit an oral exam when they get back. And this year, because obviously the whole not been abroad thing, um, that's now an optional exam, things like that. Um, this year, so I had a couple of meetings with like the co chairs of the faculty and also the year of board director of studies. Um, and this year is the first year that there's been student representation on the year of board management group. And the year old management group kind of does like the administrative bits of the year abroad, like the logistical bits, like funding, um, contingency planning. Um, so um in these unprecedented times, there was student representation on there for the first time, and that was me, um, the AIMS rep as well, and a representative from the third year who wasn't like a faculty rep I think but kind of stepped in. Um and we had a couple of meetings because I was on faculty board um, as obviously the faculty board representative um, and it was discussed there and also in more like informal meetings and lots of email communication. Um, so you mentioned that um, a kind of positive outcome of this
2: has been that there has been more student representation. Do you think that's something that will continue in the long term? And is that something that you'd you'd want?
5: it was Year Abroad Managing Group that had student representation this year for the first time. And as far as I know, that is continuing, at least throughout the next however long of Corona crisis. Um, I think that's continuing. I'm not sure who that representative will be, but there are plans for that to still be in place. Um, There's also student representation, not not exactly Year Abroad adjacent, but in terms of online stuff. the student representation on the teaching and learning group. Um, It's a new board, not quite a board, but like a subsection, um, and that's got student representation on it. It's a weird one because I'm not trying to make the point that students were not involved before because that's not true. Um, Because there's been representation, representation from students on boards for years. It's more of a, there's now more students can contribute, if that makes sense, and those contributions will be bigger than before because it's so much easier to get feedback from students on bigger issues like the corona year abroad and fourth year examinations than it is on little things. Um, student representatives are there to give the viewpoint that someone, like an academic example, cannot give because they do not have the lived experience, um, and this is a time where they really do want that, to know that lived experience because no one's done it before.
2: Year abroad students haven't been the only ones impacted by the pandemic. Science subjects often rely on non-contact hours and face-to-face teaching. Samara, a second-year medic at Selwyn, tells us how coronavirus has affected exams and practical work.
1: Last term, when the new exam arrangements due to Covid were put together, it was announced that whilst most subjects at Cambridge would have open book and remote exams in Easter, Medics would have to take their exams in Cambridge at the start of Michaelmas. So Samara, can you tell me exactly what's happening with the medicine exams?
6: You know, like you said, they were said to be held in Cambridge, in Michaelmas. They are still being held at the, just before the start of Michaelmas, but they won't be held in Cambridge. Students have the option whether they want to come and stay in college. I think some colleges have been quite flexible with that. Some haven't. Um, some colleges have stated that people will just be taking them at home online. They're fairly spaced out. There's usually about a day or two days in between each one Um, over a period of kind of like, the second week of September until the third week of September.
1: Do you understand what the kind of rationale behind putting those exams at the start of Michaelmas versus at the normal time in Easter term, given that they're remote,
6: are? From what I know, I think the department wanted to give students the most fair type of assessment, um, especially, you know, somewhere like Cambridge, exams are really important, um, medic exams especially. Um, there was a massive emphasis put on the fact that you know students should be assessed, um, it should be official, and I think it was kind of just like a delay kind of thing. It just got pushed back far enough until it just made sense to have them in the resit times.
1: And what do you think the kind of general atmosphere or feelings amongst medics and yourself are with regards to these exams?
6: Well, I mean... Since March, when they started doing the whole process of figuring out how the exams would be taking place, I know there's been quite a lot of backlash among first and second year medics. I think that came from mainly the timing a lot of people were unhappy with them being placed in September because it was this idea of not having a proper break. The you know the pressure was there in order to be revising from March all the way up to September, doing exams and then going straight into Michaelmas without a proper kind of break. Um, a lot of students were concerned about the implications that would have on mental health, physical health, burnout and... Aside from that, another issue they had was the idea of the exams being open book or closed book. Um, But the university did decide to have these closed book. And that posed a lot of problems um, for people, you know, causing a lot of uncertainty about, you know, whether people would stick to that or not.
1: Right. Yeah. Because how how will that be checked or moderated?
6: No, exactly. I mean, the way that the university is, well, I mean, the medical department anyway has put that forward as they've had every student sign um this kind of form on Moodle saying that, you know, declaring that they would not, you know, intend to cheat or use any notes. But again, you know, if people are doing these kind of spread out, some people at home online, some people in college, there's no way of the university being able to actually moderate it, and that might affect, you know, things like grade boundaries. And that I think that's been really stressing a lot of students out.
1: Right, okay. So Looking a bit more further on from the exams, um, a lot of next year's teaching is obviously going to be done remotely and online. So what does that kind of mean for medicine? Have they discussed with you what that will mean for maybe more of the practical teaching? And I guess ultimately, do you think that a medicine course can be taught online?
6: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, since there's so much focus put on exams at the moment, there hasn't been a whole lot of information relating to um, exact structure of the course and from what we know so far we know all lectures will definitely be online Um, from what I've heard from other students I believe that I think um, for those of us going into second year um, head and neck anatomy so the dissection part of our course will be done in person but so far all I know is that labs and practicals will be taking place online so we won't have any engagement in person Um, In terms of whether, you know, I think this is, I guess, appropriate for a medical course, like, you know, can a medical course be done online? Um, Cambridge is unique in the fact that from years one to three, it's very, um, very lecture-based. There's not a whole lot of patient contact. Um, It isn't a very, I think, uh, you know, compared to other medical schools, there isn't a lot of... um, interaction in a medical, you know, um, environment. So I don't know if it will affect um, the preclinical course greatly. Um, I'm sure, you know, it's affecting the clinical part of the course the years four to six on a much greater scale. I do know for us anyway that there is a module we have called preparing for patients. So in that module we would be seeing patients in GP surgeries, patients in hospitals, there would have been kind of more clinical contact and we have received news about that that we won't have any patient contact there. They'll most likely be done online, so we'll have consultations possibly over Zoom or Microsoft Teams or something. And I think you know, I think most people come to Cambridge knowing that it is quite a lecture-based course, um, so it shouldn't be a massive shock to the system for most students. But I think a large part of the medical course you know, comes from interacting with other medical students and lectures um, in practicals. I think that's where you make a lot of friends. I think it's where you make a lot of connections. Um, You learn more about the course, you learn with each other. I think that kind of support is gonna be lost this term and, you know, possibly next term even.
2: Despite the challenges that COVID-19 have undoubtedly brought to higher education, it has shed light on discussions around accessibility, which hopefully should lead to long-lasting positive change, as Renza Gaunt suggests. Are
1: there any discussions of policies that have emerged due to COVID planning that you feel are positive in the more general quest to make university more accessible?
0: Definitely. I was in a bit of a funny situation this spring because as... The as a disability campaigner who's been involved in in this several years within the university, I know that uh, disabled students and other students looking for a more accessible education ha- have been asking for things for quite a while. This culminated in uh, a symposium in spring of this year, uh, 2020, which. Um, had loads of presentations from different staff, different students who had had different um, assessments or educational experiences and sharing best practice. It was called diversifying assessment and this was meant to be this real like pie in the sky, like what would we do ideally, how would we reimagine examining, um, you know, how could we do coursework within engineering or how could we do this, how could we really change the exam format to not discriminate against disabled students. This was about, I think, a week before lockdown. (laughs) So we had all of these amazing hypothetical situations. And then we had a talk from a senior university staff member who said, oh, by the way, this stuff is happening this year. Um, (laughs) So it was really wild that this was this is stuff that normally you talk about it. And then in like three years, you might be able to think about introducing it. Um, And then, you know, some of the papers were on if, if you give everybody typed exams, does it just benefit disabled students? Does it benefit everybody? Or, you know, if you offer coursework, does that discriminate against disabled students less? And turns out, yes, it does. Just offering a three-hour exam format um, disproportionately disadvantages disabled students and really offering a, a different exam format is, is really beneficial and enables um, students to achieve their potential, not more than their potential, which I think is the worry that people are going to get more than they deserve or whatever, which is just r- ridiculous. You you can see the results um, distribution, and it's a completely normal distribution that you, you would expect from anybody. Now the university staff know that you can push through an alternative assessment within a couple of months and have it have real mitigation in there for students who are ill or don't have the right learning conditions at home or any number of things. I'm really hoping that this um, marks the start of online exams or typed exams where students want this because this is something that currently disabled students have to, they might have to pay £400 for an assessment in order to prove that they need this and then they get a small amount of extra time and the ability to type their exams. And we're having discussions um, with, throughout September about what's going to happen for s- summer uh, 2021. It, it looks like typed exams are going to be an option for a lot of students, which um, I'm, I'm really happy about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting time because we really get to make the points that just a couple of months ago would have been seen as really revolutionary and radical. It's speeding things up in a way that I am really, really grateful for. And it makes me think, actually, this could have been possible much earlier.
1: Do you feel with something like recorded lectures now that obviously all the lectures will at least be live streamed and hopefully most of them will be recorded and able to watch back at different points? Are you hopeful how likely do you think it is that those kind of changes will outlive COVID? Or do you think that once lectures are back in person again... we may just revert back to how we used to be?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, there had already been a uh, pilot scheme that was planned for this academic year for um, recorded lectures in a number of different faculties. So that was already going to go ahead. I think the university had a reluctantly um, accepted that it's current practice, which is disabled students still have to go to the lecture and then they can audio record it. Um, but actually that completely misses the point for a lot of students. If they could get to the lecture, then they wouldn't have a problem in the first place. Um, so I think the university has broadly accepted that that is a a very silly way to do it and doesn't actually help a lot of students, um, but again it's just changes changes rather slow so the fact that um lectures now have to be recorded because it impacts not only disabled students now but all students and that's really where the the change in tempo has come from which is kind of bittersweet in that i'm i'm glad that it has happened but i'm sad that it had to happen really um i i think it's 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 a positive step and within As student officers, we're definitely going to be pushing for the university to to not drop this because they have shown that it is a reasonable thing to ask for. And I think, why stop here? Um, Let's go further because things that benefit disabled students benefit all students. Having access to lecture notes online before the class just means that if if you're unsure about the topic, you can read through it beforehand and you can concentrate better in your lecture. I mean, who doesn't benefit from that?
1: Overall, it appears that, whilst the university has tried to provide students with a clear picture of what next year will look like, students at Cambridge remain unclear. It seems that the collegiate nature of Cambridge has created ambiguities as many of the practical arrangements have been left to the colleges. These collegiate discrepancies are especially pronounced for international students. It's worth noting, however, that the uni's lack of a clear stance may, to some extent, be a product of the government's constantly changing guidelines. Provided with limited and ever-changing information from the government, it's not surprising that the university itself may be confused and therefore struggling to clearly relay to students what the guidelines are. Nevertheless, many students at Cambridge seem to be adapting, looking at what they can do to help themselves and others and, as ever, are making their voices heard through open letters and campaigns.
2: Some areas of student life may even improve. Arguably, the pandemic has created a stronger student community and shed light on discussions of accessible learning. And if Cambridge commits itself to listening and communicating openly with students, we may just end up on the other side with a better university. Thank you for listening.
1: You can read more on this topic at varsity.co.uk.
2: Thank you to our contributors, Varsity's senior news editor Christopher Dorrell, MML student rep Gemma Watts, medic Samara Jahan, Girton JCR president Reva Kapoor and Cambridge SU Disabled Students Officer Renza Gaunt.
1: Thanks also to our production team, Matthew Cavallini, Matthew Jeffries, Alex Oxford, Georgia Gobel, Tilly Head and Cameron White subscribe to our podcast or visit our Facebook page where you can see upcoming episodes and leave any thoughts.